Waiting, not worrying. All right, if you've got a bulletin insert, why don't you pull that out? Waiting, not worrying. Uh, we have a tendency to like to worry, and God has a tendency to like us not to worry and uh, to have us be dependent on Him so that we don't worry. And uh, I want to talk about that uh, this morning. Uh, I'm going to be uh, working our way through a, a chunk of Scripture in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. But uh, before we get there, let me just sort of get your minds uh, thinking in the past about uh, how the Lord may have done something uh, in your life that was uh, what you would seem would be an answer to prayer, or you'd say that was impossible, or maybe it's just uh, recalling uh, a situation in your life where you could see the hand of God involved in your personal affairs. I mean, it might be, how did you meet the person that you uh, married to or, you know, you care about? Uh, could you see the Lord's hand in that? Uh, or maybe uh, it's uh, your, the current job that you got. Can you see uh, the Lord's hand in that, how you got the job or what's happening in your job or opportunities in your job or even uh, sometimes uh, asking the Lord for wisdom to handle your own job, uh, you know, we can have all the degrees and qualifications in the world, but we can still be totally uh, perplexed and overcome with uh, the challenges that we have in our jobs or the people that we have in our jobs, which, uh, you know, w we need the Lord's help in. But I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to think about situations where you may have seen God hand in your life. Maybe it's a situation where you feel like God physically healed you. You had some situation that uh, you can clearly uh, ascribe to uh, as God healing your situation. Or uh, maybe uh, you've been in a, a jam, you've been in a corner, and uh, you prayed, and God miraculously answered your prayer in a very what seemed like a very normal or ordinary uh, kind of a way. Uh, you know, it's very encouraging for us when we're currently sitting worrying or concerned about wherever we're in, whatever situation we're in currently, to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness to us in the past. And, uh, or, you know, looking at... Uh, other people's lives around you that you know pretty well. And you could say, well, God did something, or hearing their story about how God may have done something in their lives. I mean, God's personality is one where He is love. God's personality is one where He knows each one of us individually, personally. And God's desire that uh, He would bless us, He's for us, He wants to pour out His love for us, and He wants to guide us. God's desire is that our lives would be blessed. I mean, that, that's God's plan. We're not fighting God with that. However, it is on God's terms. And so, you know, we read the Bible to remind ourselves and to understand God, because the challenge we have is that uh, we see God as like a vending machine, where it's like, okay, if I just do this, that, and pull the lever, God will just do the little thing that I'm praying for, the miracle that I want, and, and then, believe me, even if God answers that prayer, you'll have another one for Him the very next day. And we, we struggle with that versus who is God and what is God's personality, and at the same time, God is saying, but I got a plan for you too. 
And my plan is that you will live according to my ways. And if you live according to my ways, I want to bless you. But if you live at odds according to my ways, then there's this tension. Then we like, okay, we, we're trying to do our thing and God wants to wants you to do his thing. And so we read scripture and we read the stories in the Bible to understand who is God and what are God's ways and, and how is it that he wants to bless us. And so if we look at this, uh, as we're working through this very large book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, uh, if you make your way to Isaiah chapter 31, I want to look at chapter 31, 32, and a little bit of chapter 33. But when we pick up a book that's this big, it's helpful for us to see it in chunks or see it in sections. You know, again, just to remind you that the chapter breaks that we get in the books, they were put in like 400 years after Christ. I mean, in the time that the Isaiah wrote this, it would be a scroll. It would be like a continuous uh, read. And so what can work against us is our daily reading or our daily Bible plans or, you know, we pick a verse because typically we're in a hurry and we want to do all our, you know, devotional time like really, really quick. Like, you know, we don't want to spend hours doing this. We don't even want to spend minutes doing it. Like we're not doing seconds. That's why we have the Bible app and the verse of today. And, and we're just like, it's, you know, it's a really awesome verse in Isaiah. Most of the Bible is like you have to, you have to like read like lots and it's like in this section, it's like, you know, if you just read a verse, a random verse in Isaiah, it's like way confusing. Or even a, a chapter, it's like God just seems so angry. Like, what's going on with this? I don't even want to read another chapter. But if you read a whole block, you start seeing it. Now, there's no, you know, there's no, uh, I think the way chapters get broken out is super helpful. Scholars have looked at this and said, here's some helpful breaks. But Another way of breaking this whole section out would take chapter 28 through 33, and you could put a, a sort of a title over that whole section. It says, Woe to those who will not wait for God. Because if you read each one of those circumstances, you're looking at nations and situations where people have basically said, Look, I can't wait for God any longer. I'm just like sick of waiting, and I'm going to do my own thing. And that's what we're picking up here today. And the thing is, it's super pertinent for our own lives today because we do the exact same thing. I mean, the script might be slightly different. We're not um, necessarily, you know, depending on Egypt, uh, as we will read now. But we are depending on other things other than God. Our temptation is to try everything else but God. And God's uh, encouragement to us is... Put everything else aside and depend on me. Just like put all your effort and depend on me. So if you're following along in, with your bulletin insert, I want to talk about uh, are you done waiting with God? You know, uh, or, you know, I'll hear this occasionally from folks. Oh, no, I tried Jesus. It just didn't work. You know, so I'm moving on. And I'm like, hmm, really? You tried Jesus and it didn't work. No, Jesus always works. Uh, Jesus is the answer. You may have given up on Jesus prematurely, or you may have had a different idea of who Jesus is, and therefore it didn't work because your idea of Jesus and the real Jesus are two different things. Jesus is the Lord of this universe. It works. Jesus works. Depending on Jesus is very uh, reliable. 
Depending on yourself. Now, that doesn't work. You might think that works, and that's a great plan. No, no, that, that doesn't work so well. So, you know, have you tried God and it just didn't work? Try again. Uh, but try the real God or try the real Jesus. Uh, if you're done waiting with God and you just kind of got irritated, change your attitude. Don't give up on waiting on God. I know it's frustrating. I know we can expect uh, things to happen quicker. We desire things to happen quicker. Uh, We do live in a struggle, and I'm acknowledging that, but I'm also saying that our dependence on God is the solution. God is not the problem. Uh, So as we can understand God a little better, it will help us. Now let me just pick up the context here in chapter 31, Verse 31, uh, chapter 31, verse 1. What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help, trusting their horses, chariots, and charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies, instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Okay, here's the big idea. Here's what's going on. Uh, Egypt, at this time, appears to be a really wealthy, strong, powerful nation. I mean, it's sort of like America in the world's eyes today. You know, we just seem to be really strong and powerful nation. And uh, the Israelites, things aren't going too well for them. The reason it's not going too well for them in Jerusalem and in, in Israel and Judah is because they've basically given up on God. And so they're saying, wait, the obvious thing to do what everybody else is doing, you align yourself with a power that's like really powerful and you become their buddies. And if you're their buddies, you're their ally, then who's going to mess with you because you, you know, you've got might and power on your side. And God is sort of picking up on this and he's saying, okay, so you want to trust in Egypt? That's your big plan? Uh, you think trusting in a big army and having powerful like weapons, uh, having wealth, that's your big plan? God is saying, believe me, from my perspective, big armies and powerful people and lots of money is irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. God is saying, I can change that in a heartbeat. I want you to trust in me. And the people are saying, trust in God? I mean, like we're going to be attacked from every which side, you know, every side. We don't have what it takes. No, we're going to trust in Egypt. We can see them. We can see they're strong. And God is saying, bad mistake. Trust in me. Trust in me. And this is the challenge that we have. It's like, are we done waiting on God? Are we done depending on God? And if so, what are we going to do? You know, we're not in a, hopefully, not in a stage or a state of war at the moment. And uh, so it's hard for us to put ourselves in the place that the Egyptians and the Israelites were, where they were constantly being attacked and at war and their national security was at stake. But there are plenty of people in our country which feel like, okay, they are hopeless. You know, you've got the dreamers. Uh, it's like, okay, they were born in this country. It's, they feel like they've got no national protection. Like, who do they depend on? Where do they go? Where do they go for help? I mean, it's so much bigger when our problems are so much bigger than our situation. I mean, or even bigger than our politics or, you know, our recent school shootings. It's left... You know, all of us feeling like, okay, what's the solution for this? And there's so many different opinions and blah, blah, blah. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, there's no clear, obvious 
answer here. I mean, politicians can't even figure this out. We're not even close to figuring it out. And we all got our opinions on what should be or better. But ultimately, it's like, we're in a mess. We need like help, like God help us or help us figure us out or, or God, you need to go before us because we're not doing a great job at sorting out these big problems. There's a sense where God is desiring that we would be dependent on him. And we have as humans at a natural dependency to say, we don't need God. We'll sort it all out ourselves. We got our, our solutions and invariably our solutions just like aren't that good. And God's solutions typically are really, really great. And so God is saying to us again and again, what are the things that make you worry? What are the things that keep you up at night? Uh, and God is saying, depend on me. Put your worries on me. Put your burdens on me. Let me take care of them. And God is going to do one of two things. He's either going to solve the problem or he's going to solve you and your problems. He'll change you. He'll either change the problem or he'll change you. But either way, if you... Put your problems and your burdens on God's shoulders. You personally will be beneficial. You'll benefit from that. You will experience God's peace. And hopefully we can experience God's peace as a community and as a country. Let's look at two other options here of how we um, handle this waiting. Uh, if you look at chapter 32, at the beginning of this, and I've t titled this point two in your insert, faith, waiting with expectation. Uh, this is how God desires us to live our lives in faith. There's a sense where we say, okay, I'm waiting. I don't like my current situation. I don't like the fact that I'm dealing with cancer. I don't like the fact that I'm dealing with, you know, money problems. I don't like the fact, but I am leaning on God with expectation that God can do something about it. This is what God would, how God would like us to live. Where we're saying, God, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, I'm praying to you to uh, be involved in my situation. Anyway, in the context of this book, uh, all these different countries are at war, and God is saying, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And then God always gives this sort of uh, section where it'll be hope. It'll be hope. It'll be God's love. It'll be God's promises. And he says here in verse uh, one of chapter 32. Look, a righteous king is coming. You know, and this is the midst of, you know, they've been, the, 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 the people listening to this prophet Isaiah, they're like, what? No, man, we got real problems. We've got armies that are trying to kill us. What are you talking about a righteous king? Like, no, talk about chariots and horses and like armies, but not like some weird righteous king. God is saying, no. The answer to your problem is a righteous king. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going, to, and he, he, I'm going to infuse this in you. Look, a righteous king is coming, and honest princes will rule under him. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. And it just goes on and on to explain what it's like to live under God's blessing where God takes care of our problems. And the thing that's so interesting about this verse is for the people in their day, it would have been very difficult for them to totally comprehend this. And yet God is saying, I'm going to send Jesus. And they're like, wait a bit, I'm worried about like today. And God is like, yeah, I can take care of your to today and I can take care of your future and I can take care of the future of the world. 
And God is saying this all in one breath, in one verse here. He's saying, I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to be a righteous king. And so we live, obviously, on this side after this prophecy has been partially fulfilled. And, uh, and yet we say, okay, we get it sort of. Like, okay, Jesus came. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But things are still not perfect today. And then this verse is still relevant because God is saying, no, it's never going to be perfect until Jesus returns. And so there's a sense of we have hope in two ways. We have hope for when God finally returns and we should have a desire in our heart for that moment. Uh, or, you know, recently with Billy Graham passing, uh, you know, there were just so many memorable uh, things about Billy Graham. But, you know, I just love the, one of the things that was kind of popular uh, you probably heard this recently, uh, where Billy Graham had written long ago. He says, one day you're going to hear that I died, but don't believe a word of it. I didn't die. I've just changed my address. <laughs> and it's like, uh, that's a really an awesome idea because, you know, here's somebody that got it. He knew that, okay, I'm going to pass away eventually, but my real honest hope is for when I meet Jesus, when I'm living with Jesus. And there's something in all of us where that can give us tremendous hope, no matter what our current awful, difficult, undesirable circumstances is. But at the same time, there's a sense that we can experience God's power today in our uh, situation. So we look forward to, to both eventually, but also right now that God will do something. And then when we you know, read the rest of this chapter 32, verse 5, for instance, says, In that day, ungodly fools will not be heroes. Scoundrels will not be respected. For fools speak foolishness and make evil plans. You know, God is just saying, look, the people that are famous today or the people that are in control today or the people that have power today, if they're not righteous, it's going to fall away. There is, there is hope. These people will not control everything always. God will get back in control. And uh, so, you know, we ask ourselves, uh, what will we do in good times and what will we do in bad times? And often, our faith is shaped in when things are really going pretty well in our lives. You know, when we've got a job, when our health is pretty decent, uh, you know, things are moving along, not perfect, but they're you know, moving along pretty well. Because it's in times like this that we've got to say, are we still dependent on God? Do we have any sense of urgency for God? Or are we the kind of people that the only time we ever expect have any urgency in our life is when we're in crisis? And then when we're in crisis, then we pray. But when things are going well, we're not really that excited about praising God and giving thanks to God. And yet God is saying, he's saying, listen, I have a different lifestyle for you. If you want to experience my love and my blessing, I'm here for you in both seasons. I'm here for you when you're down and out. But I'm also here for you when things are going well. And God's sort of idea is that we live a life in this, uh, in this flow. And we, we honor the Lord. And we honor the Lord by, you know, we go to church regularly. We pray regularly. We read His Word regularly. We're in some sort of community, life group, spiritual group regularly. And then when difficulty comes, you've already got a support pattern around you. And God is saying both in the good times and in the bad times, 
you need to have a structure around you so that you can experience God uh, and his love and his goodness, no matter what season that you're in. We pick this up, uh, the opposite of uh, waiting with expectation is this complacency, which is like, you know, things have really gone well, I'm really rich, uh, I don't have a lot of pressure, I'm just living the good life, and ah, who needs church, and yeah, Jesus, yeah, I believe in him, but you know, sort of not really, and reading the Bible, ah, I can't understand that book, it's just too hard to figure out, and praying, ah, yeah, well, you know, I just pray as I drive along the road, and it's called complacency, and uh, God has a section in the verse for the, uh, a section in this chapter on this, it says here in verse 9, Listen, you women who lie around in ease. Listen to me, you who are so smug. In a short time, just a little more than a year, you careless ones will suddenly begin to care. And so what is God going to do? He's going to pull the mat from underneath them. He says, your fruit crops will fail and the harvest will never take place. Tremble, you women of ease. Throw off your complacency. Strip off your pretty clothes and put on burlap and show your grief. You know, there's a sense of uh, God is saying, just because things are going well for you, if, you go, if it's going well for you and you've removed yourself from God, you should start worrying. Uh, God is not opposed to things going well for you. In fact, God would love to bless you. He would love to bless you as you live your life in obedience to God. That's God's desire. That's God's plan. Uh, he's not against people living well or being very wealthy. God is against people living in opposition to his ways. Uh, uh, you know, that would be the, the short answer of that. But if we uh, look at uh, the next uh, chapter uh, 32, 15 through 20, uh, in verse 15, at the end of this uh, section, I've titled point four here, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll say the waiting was worth it. When, when God comes through in your life, uh, you would say it was worth the pain or the problem because when we see God come through and do something, it's so inspiring, it's so miraculous, it's so encouraging that it propels us and it helps us to uh, carry on. But anyway, let me just read this, verse 15. Until at last the Spirit is poured out on us from heaven. Then the wilderness will become a fertile field. Now, again, this is following on where God is saying, okay, this woman has been complacent. Uh, you're, I'm going to remove your complacency by removing your idol or your, uh, the thing that you look to for your security, which is your money. And I'm going to remove that source and see if you're dependent on God. And then God says, what I'm going to then do is I'm going to pour out my spirit. And then you're going to see crops grow. And then you're going to see the land be blessed. And then you're going to see productive harvest. It'll be so unbelievably awesome uh, that you won't even believe it. And uh, so God says in verse 20, the Lord will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. Their cattle and donkeys will graze freely. I mean, that's the heart of God. That's what God is desiring for each one of you, that your lives will be prosperous, that they would be good, that they would be, uh, you know, a, a life that's worth living. It doesn't necessarily mean that the only life that's worth living is a rich life or a, or a poor person is, you know, somehow in a better place or a worse place. The, the essence is, what is your life with God like? Are you in connect 
connection with God? Is there a sense, whether you're rich or poor, that you, are, you can live a life stress-free, without worry? And believe me, for a poor person or for a wealthy person, you can have worry in different areas or even the same area. I mean, you can be very, very wealthy, and money can be a huge, huge stress for you. Uh, but the question is, how do we live a life without stress? And Jesus knew this. And uh, Jesus reminded us of this. And he says, I want you to live a life where we can, you know, be waiting and not worrying. And so let me just uh, pick up on where Isaiah goes and then where Jesus goes. So in chapter 33, verse 2, it says this. But Lord, be merciful to us. For we have waited for you. Be our strong arm each day and our salvation in times of trouble. Now that's a good prayer. If you want to pray the Bible, if you want to pray a good prayer, that's a good prayer. I mean, if you're in a place of worry or you're feeling anxious or you're feeling overwhelmed, verse 2, but Lord, be merciful to us for we have waited for you. Be our strong arm each day and our salvation in times of trouble. In other words, God is saying, can we give our worries to Him and let Him carry them? Can we pray in such a way that we say, God, I am feeling stressed, I am feeling burdened, but I give it to you, and I know that you're going to come through. And then on, on verse 6, in that day He will pour out, He will be your sure foundation, providing a rich store, store of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord will be your treasure. I mean, there is a sense that God is saying, when you depend on Him, God will come through. And when He comes through, it'll feel like a treasure or a foundation. It'll feel so sure. It'll feel so strong. It'll feel so rewarding. And Jesus picks up on this. In Matthew 6, this is one of the most well-known passages where Jesus says, look, I will carry your problems. I will carry your burdens. I will sort it out for you. Just give it to me, will you? Uh, and will you live a life the way I'm asking you to live it? But look at the context of uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, in Isaiah's situation, God was saying, you can't like depend on Egypt and expect me to come through for you. And God is saying, you need to depend on me for your national security, for your personal security. And God is definitely saying to us in, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, don't let money become your God or become your false sense of security or become all-consuming to you. Yes, money is important. And yes, God desires for you to have enough money and to make ends meet and, and to be generous. But don't let that become the thing that you live for. Live for God. So picking up this verse, you can't serve, you can't serve two masters. Then verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And then God, Jesus gives us a very simple little two-step reminder formula on how to live this life. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else 
and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. It just, you know, incredibly uh, helpful that Jesus would remind us again and again. Put the kingdom of God first. Put God first. Give God your worries. Give God your cares. And then allow God to do whatever God can do and will do uh, in your life. We seek the Lord. We seek the kingdom of God first. And we live righteously. We can do both those things. We can't cure cancer. We can't deal with you know, foreign wars, people uh, wanting to shoot us and kill us. We, we can't uh, really know if we're going to have a shooter in our schools. But we can depend on God and we can live righteously. And God says, I can give you peace and I can give you comfort despite living in a very uncertain world. And this is the tension of the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom. On the one hand, God is totally able to deal with your situation, even if it's like cancer, which is incurable. God says, I can cure it. And on the one hand, God says, and I want you to pray that you will be cured. That's a very uh, good way of praying, and it's a good uh, formula of faith. But at the same time, and without contradicting yourself, God is saying, but... You may not be healed, and you still need to live a life that's righteous, and I will give you the Holy Spirit to help you to endure whatever you need to endure or go through, because at the end of the day, the real ultimate thing is you will be with God, and when you are with God, all your problems are going to be taken care of. So let me just repeat that. God is saying both. He's saying he wants us to be totally dependent on him for small things and big things. And we can pray to God for everything. And we can expect God to do the impossible. That's God's business. And God does do the impossible. That's where we get so encouraged by faith. That's why we recall what God has done in our lives in the past. But at the same time, simultaneously, we also have to know that we're not all going to get healed. And not everything that we pray for is going to happen. But God has not abandoned us. He's still with us. And He wants to encourage us. He either is going to give the Holy Spirit uh, to us in a way to give us wisdom or to give us strength or to be with us. That we will get through whatever difficult situation we're in. But what we're not allowed to do is worry. That is what we ask to give to Jesus. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for each person here today, whatever it is that we're worrying about, that stresses us out, that uses up all our energy. Lord, I just pray for your peace for each one of your people. Lord, I thank you that you love us, that you know us, I thank you, Jesus, that you can heal all and every disease. And Jesus, I thank you that you did. And I thank you, Jesus, that you rose again. And I thank you, Jesus, that you sent your disciples out and they healed all the sick people. And Jesus, I thank you that you are coming again. So Jesus, we just give you our stress. We give you our worry. And Lord, we choose you. And we choose to live righteously despite our circumstances, knowing that you will go before us. We thank you that you're a mighty God and a powerful God and a God that cares for us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.